Today we are turning for our scripture reading to the New Testament. Today we're reading from Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and we're reading verses 28 to the end of the chapter. Well, not quite, excuse me, 28 to 42, 44. And you'll find it on page 1631 of the Church Bible. Page 1631, Luke chapter 19, that well-known story of the triumphal entry from Luke chapter 19. We break into chapter 19 with these well-known words. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you And as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead and went and found it just as they had told him. And as they were untying the coat, his owners asked him, why are you untying the coat? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus through their cloaks and the cold and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground and you and your children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Incidentally, for those of you who are historians, those last few words, the days that will come upon you and your enemies will surround you and they will build an embankment and your city will be destroyed. In fact, that took place in the year AD 70, somewhere around 33 or 34 years after Jesus' prediction of it, when the Romans put down a Jewish revolt. And so it's a somber and sobering message to read those words. We do trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. If you have ever visited New York City, you will know that most people, when they visit New York, want to go up to the top of the Empire State Building. And as you travel to the top of the building and you step out of the elevator, you will go up five or six steps. There are glass doors in front of you and you walk out into the open air and you are at the top of the Empire State Building, and all around are spectacular views of the city. 
And when folks get up there for the first time, when they step out into the balcony area, they tend not to say too much because their mind has difficulty taking in everything that they can see, right? Close to them, of course, is the Chrysler building. And if you look to the south, you see southern Manhattan and in the distance is the Statue of Liberty. And folks have a hard time taking it all in. And then after about 10 or 15 minutes, you will see them going into their pockets and bringing out their phones and trying to photograph some spectacular views. And then eventually, they begin to take selfies. And so they will stand there, hold their phone up, and try and take a photograph of themselves with the city in the background. And they do it because it is a special event. It's a moment that you want to capture. It's a moment you want to remember. Now, this time last Sunday morning, I found myself in a very similar situation, but not in New York, but in fact in Jerusalem. And on a Sunday morning, one of the favorite places for tour groups to go is to leave the ancient city, drive down one side of the Kidron Valley, cross the valley, and drive up the other side. It's about a quarter of a mile from Jerusalem. You can walk it very easily. Tour groups pull over into the parking section there. People tumble off of the bus and they are just amazed at the spectacular views of the city. And as you look at it, on the far left is the ruins of the old temple. Then you've got the Temple Mound, which is a mosque. And then you can see the ancient wall of the city itself. And you have a similar experience to folks in the Empire State Building. You find it hard to take it all in. And of course, you tumble off the bus and you look around and folks become a little quiet. And eventually they take out their telephones and they're taking pictures. And of course, they're taking selfies as well. And after a minute or two, they are saying, now what is that and what is this and what is that? And it takes about 10 minutes for the tour group leader to settle everyone down. And once they're settled down, The group leader will then say, now, as you look at the city, that's what you're going to see, the western wall, the wailing wall. As you come in, you'll see one of the ancient gates on the southern side. And then as you look further into the city, you'll see the Church of the Annunciation and various different bits and pieces, and they'll lay it all out for you. And one of the things that tour groups like to do is this. Not only to take pictures, because it's a moment to remember But as the tour guide takes you away from the view and begins to explain to you the significance of where you're standing, then it really becomes a moment to remember because you're standing on the Mount of Olives. And the bus usually then departs and goes into the city and you walk with your other tour group into the city itself. And you go down a street, it's not a, very, it's not a very broad street, probably two cars can get by, and as you go down that street, you, there are walls on either side, and every now and again, you'll see a window in the wall, and you'll see bars, and you look inside, and there's a garden, and there are trees growing, and shrubs, and it just has that sense of being a quiet place. And as you go further and further down the hill, before you get to the bottom of the valley, The tour group leader takes you in to the right-hand side through a gateway into the Garden of Gethsemane. When you begin to realize where you are, no one's taking photographs. No one's trying to take a selfie. The significance of the moment is overwhelming. And in our passage this morning, 
We are about to go to the Mount of Olives. Jesus had come from Bethany and Bethpage, about two miles away. He had come up to the top of the Mount of Olives. He was now making his way. And you can walk down that same road. I was on it last Sunday morning, as I said. You make your way down through the same road. But you cannot get to Jerusalem without going past Gethsemane. We'll come back to that Thursday evening when we have our Monday, Monday, Thursday service at 7 o'clock here in the main sanctuary. We'll have communion. We'll explore what happened the night before he died. But it's a moving journey as you leave the Mount of Olives and make your way towards Jerusalem. That's what's happening in our passage in Luke's Gospel. The context which I've given you is exactly where it all took place. Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, are not easily forgotten. They're moments to remember. And this morning as we come to it, my prayer for us would be this, that Father, as we study and look at your word this morning, as we go into Holy Week, we would take with us Moments that are not easily forgotten. Moments that are memorable. Moments that will have an impact upon our heart and mind and soul this week. So having said that, let's look at the passage. The passage begins after Jesus had said this. Now, of course, the question is, said what? Well, he'd been teaching about a parable in the passage immediately below. And in essence, it is saying, when Jesus had finished teaching about the parable, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is 500 feet above sea level. The area around it, you're at sea level, and that's why Luke describes it as going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now on Palm Sunday morning, we are so familiar with the passage that our focus tends to be on the crowd, on the waving of the palms, on the donkey, That's a good place to have a focus. But allow me please to help you to stand back this morning. And just as we did with Jerusalem, look at the vast panoply of what is taking place here. And there's three or four words right at the beginning of this section of Scripture in verse 28 that I don't want to rush past. I don't want simply to mention it and move on. Because the words are, He went on ahead, going up, to Jerusalem. Now, why is that significant? Well, for this reason. There are several major themes or biblical motifs that are found in Luke's Gospel. And those motifs include journey, exploration, and discovery. Let me say them again. Journey, exploration, and discovery. And in Luke's opening chapters, chapters 1 and 2, you see those themes again of journey, exploration, and discovery. And it happens when Mary leaves her home and heads towards her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Because there is journey. There is 
exploration and ultimately discovery. As Mary meets with Elizabeth and they both discover they are expecting one, the Son of God, the other, John the Baptist. Secondly, you see those motifs again. As Joseph and Mary head up towards Bethlehem to register, you have journey, discovery, and exploration again. You see it again further on in chapter 2 when Jesus is 12. It's the only incident recorded of Jesus going to the temple. And again, this time last Sunday, not only was, was I on the Mount of Olives, we walked round to the southern side of the temple and I sat down on the temple steps. The very steps that Joseph would have walked up in Jerusalem with the infant Christ child gone through the southern gate and met Simeon. And Simeon, of course, then dedicated Christ right there. It happened right there. That theme of journey and discovery and exploration is right there. But it becomes more profound as Luke's gospel continues. Because on four or five different occasions you hear words like these. And it changes at Luke chapter 9. And at Luke chapter 9, you read these words. As the time approached. Excuse me, let me try that again. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Please note that. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out to Jerusalem. You find it again in chapter 13. Then Jesus made his way through the towns and villages, preaching as he moved towards Jerusalem. You find it in verse chapter 17, on his way to Jerusalem. Flick back a page with me if you've got your Bible open to the previous chapter, to chapter 18, verse 31. And you read these words. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and insult him, and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. And the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. But what we understand is this, that again and again and again throughout Luke's gospel, you have that sense of journey and discovery and explanation. And you have it right here. He's heading towards Jerusalem. He's going towards Jerusalem. He's heading in that direction. And it is crystal clear that as Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, we understand this. That Christ was not crucified because of Judas' betrayal. That played a part, a significant part, but it wasn't the primary part. Neither was his crucifixion put down to the jealousy of the Pharisees and Sadducees who wanted rid of him because he was more popular than they were. Played a part, but not the primary part. What of Pilate? He played a part, but his weakness as a political leader did not determine the death of the Son of God. It did not play a primary part. 
Jesus resolutely set out towards Jerusalem. And that's one of the dominant themes in this Palm Sunday passage. That Jesus intentionally, quite deliberately, headed towards Jerusalem because he knew what was coming. And if you know Luke's Gospel well, the passage is building and building and building as chapter by chapter goes by. And there's a sense of anticipation and expectation. And now as he comes towards Jerusalem, the crowds are celebrating, they're waving the palm branches, they're throwing their coats on the ground, believing that here is the Messiah who has come at last. There is no question This is a spectacular passage of Scripture, full of significance. Let me encourage you to hold that thought, to paint another picture for you. If you lived close to the Appalachian Trail, and hikers would walk past your door regularly, imagine yourself sitting there on a Saturday morning with newspaper or reading your emails with a cup of coffee. It's springtime. You're relaxing outside, enjoying the sun. And as people pass by, making their way to the Appalachian Trail, you look up and raise your cup and say good morning, and they bring greetings back to you, and eventually you get to chat, and where are you from, and how long are you going to hike on the trail? And they get into the conversation, and they may say to you now, where is this section of the trail? And you're able to give them directions. And as they say good morning and move on past, you watch them disappearing. And in your mind, you're beginning to say, well, I wonder if they'll have the right clothes because the weather forecast is for rain. Or you might say, well, the backpack has probably got too much stuff in it, but they'll learn. Or maybe you look at their boots or their trousers or their pants and say, no, I don't think they're waterproof enough. I don't think that's going to work. And in your mind, as you see them go by, the challenges before those taking on the trail, in your mind, are theoretical. Because you will still be at home with your coffee and your laptop and your newspaper. For them, it's very, very practical. But for you, you can sit back casually, discuss it in your mind. For you, it's theoretical. But this passage of Scripture... Is not simply theoretical. It's a passage of Scripture that helps us focus. And in this passage of Scripture, God takes us and reveals to us what's about to take place in Jerusalem. And it impacts our faith. It's not something we sit back and say, well, that was interesting 2,000 years ago. Turned out well, that's nice. Because it involves us. The maturing and growing of our faith takes place when we study the Word of God, we seek to apply it to our lives, and we live it out day by day by day by day. And in this passage of Scripture, as Jesus arrives at Jerusalem, He knows what is coming. He knows what lies ahead. This isn't a theological, excuse me, it isn't a theoretical journey for Him. He knows that He will go up to Jerusalem and suffer and die at the hands of the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law. And He is seeking to be faithful to His Father day by day by day by day. 
And I think that's our first challenge this morning. As we come to this passage and then move on, the question is this, in this holy week, how will you take God's Word and apply it to your life? And that will happen when you understand the significance of what is taking place, because not only is it a moment to remember, it's a moment to apply. And what is going on here? Notice this. As Jesus arrived in the Mount of Olives, and he goes down and begins on the journey down uh, the Kidron Valley and makes his way towards Jerusalem, the crowd are quite naturally excited. Verse 37, we read this. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But, notice what comes next. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Why would the Pharisees say that? These are the religious leaders of the day. Why would they say that? Here they are praising God, giving Him glory, worshipping Him, and they say, Stop that. Why? I suspect this. The Pharisees were used to a faith that was about regulations and blind obedience and do this and don't do that and do the other. And when you consistently live like that, you develop a harshness and a judgmental attitude that is often strident and difficult to live with. And there was no sense that the Pharisees were capable of bringing refreshment for the spiritually weary or to heal those who were spiritually sick. No sense of that. In fact, they had already decided by this stage to execute Jesus. And they were looking for any excuse. And folks, I think most of us understand the Scriptures enough to realize this. That when religion becomes hard and harsh and captures the heart and mind and soul of an individual, it is a very unpleasant thing. And that's what's going on here with the Pharisees. No rejoicing that God has come. No wonder and awe that the Son of God is coming into Jerusalem. That all of the Old Testament is now fulfilled in Him. It is the very opposite They have become harsh and hard and strident and in fact are now planning the death of the Son of God. How sad. About two weeks ago, someone sent me a video clip of students in New York City and they had put up against... Uh, as it turned out, it was the side of a church. They had put it against the railings. There was a large chalkboard. And on it, they put this. Write down your regrets. And the video camera is there and is capturing different people writing on the chalkboard. And here are some of the things they wrote down. Burning bridges. 
never speaking up, not being a good husband, should have spent more time with family, staying in my comfort zone, not saying, I love you, never applying to med school, not making the most of every day, and not being a better friend. Now, when that experiment was complete, those conducting the experiment said this, that the common factors in most of the regrets were never and not. Not saying, I love you. Never being there for others. At the end of the day, they encouraged folks writing on the chalkboard to wipe it all off. And one girl tearfully at the end of the process, writing it all, rubbing it out, said this, I now realize the potential which lies ahead of me. I now realize the potential which lies ahead of me. If Palm Sunday is anything, it's about potential. It's about Holy Week is coming. It's about God in all of His wonder and grace and glory moving towards Good Friday and then, of course, Easter Sunday. And I wonder this morning if you are here with some regrets and this is God's moment for you. A moment not to be bypassed. A moment not to be forgotten when you say, Father, I'm conscious of this and that and the other. It has become so much a part of me, it's determining my identity. It is who I am. Take it away. Cleanse it. Change me. Allow me. Enable me to begin again. That's what's happening in Holy Week. Although the folks at the very center of it couldn't see it immediately. But that's exactly what was happening here. The regrets put firmly in the past. The folks who were there that Sunday morning worshipped God. And Marva J. Dawn, writing in a book on Luke's Gospel, said this of the worship of Palm Sunday. She applied it to herself and said this, I yearn for worship that will demand of me the strongest discipline, the most creative imagination, the most passionate emotion, the highest intellect, the most rigorous will, in short, genuine adoration of God. For those who were there that morning, that's what was taking place. Genuine adoration of God. As we move into Holy Week, the question finally is this. Journey, exploration, understanding, Jesus resolutely moving towards Jerusalem, and the question, of course, is why? What was so important that he could not miss it? What was going on in Jerusalem? Well, the gospel tells us this, that he was the bread of life, yet for our sakes he was racked with hunger for 40 days. He was the water of life, yet had to beg a Samaritan woman for a drink. He was the door into heaven, but there was no room for him in the inn. 
He flung the stars into space and yet needed an oil lamp to light his room. He was adored by angels and called a demon by men. He formulated the laws of motion and yet chose to ride on a donkey. He was the redeemer of the world, sold for 30 pieces of silver. And in him was life, and he became obedient unto death. Please don't rush through this week. Take time to pause and ponder and remind yourself of who he was and what he gave for us. That's a moment to remember. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this spectacular passage of Scripture. Father, we recognize this morning that it is so well known to us. And help us please this week not to focus on the palm branches or the donkey or the journey, but to focus on your love for us. Allow us, please, to capture that moment when Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and for us to explore once more and discover afresh the wonder of your love for us. Father, help us to leave this morning to apply these lessons to our life that we might grow in grace and love you all the more. Father, bless us, please. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.